0: Well, praise the Lord. I don't mind telling you I had a good night's sleep last night. Praise God. I slept just like a baby. I woke up about 5 a.m. And to look and see what time it was, because that's what time I usually wake up. I said, oh, it's 5 a.m. I rolled over and went back to sleep. And that's, the only, that's the only memory I have of last night.
1: <laughs> <Just>. <laughs>
0: Hallelujah. That's good, isn't it? Well, praise God. Uh, a lot of you were here last night, and uh, we're thankful for those that were here and were able to hear, and for those of you that are just joining us today, uh, and Those of you that made the second trip, you must be gluttons for punishment. (laughs) No, not really. We're hungry and we're thirsting for the Lord as he in fact is. Not as we think that he is or as we would like him to be, but the Lord as he is. And who said that? Somebody over here said that in testimony. And say that again because that's so good. God,
1: God just isn't who I thought he was. God is who he is.
0: Not who I think he is, but who he is. That's the key. And if we could sum up everything that was said and done last night, I think that sums it up very nicely. It is not the Lord as we think he is, but the Lord as he is that we need to see. Not as we want him to be, not as we wish him to be, not the caricature that has been painted and portrayed to us in the names of many different um, things done in the name of Jesus. But the Lord, the revelation of Christ as he in fact is, not as we want him to be, but as he really is. <clears throat> and as we showed last night, that kind of a knowledge comes with a very high price tag. You see, it's, it's a revelation of grace, but it doesn't mean it's cheap. It doesn't cost you anything because the Lord has already paid the price and thank God for it. It's not that you have to pay anything to get the revelation, it's keeping the revelation And walking in the truth of what you know, that's what will cost you. And because we don't want apostolic persecution, that's why we don't have apostolic revelation. We want to see and to know the things that Paul saw when we want to know this Jesus Christ, but if we begin to experience some of the things that Paul experienced in the process of that, how much of us would continue on steadfastly in the truth Or how many of us would say, oh, I I don't know if I can handle this. Um, we, We discussed afterwards last night how the Lord is using the events and the circumstances of our lives to work that revelation into us. And if we circumvent or look for a shortcut around these circumstances that the Lord is bringing us into, then what we are doing is we are not understanding the dealings of the Lord with us. You see, when I gave my life to the Lord at eight years old, I really was not cognizant of all that I was doing. And I think for a lot of us, we've seen things like, I surrender all, I surrender all to Jesus. And we think we know what all means, but we really don't know how deep and how, how far reaching that is going to be. But gradually, we do come to know that, don't we? Because It's real easy when we put something on the altar and as soon as the Lord starts to take it, we we try to grab it again. Uh, It's real easy in the heat of the moment, in the midst of emotion, to say, oh, I surrender all to Jesus. I counseled someone not very long ago, uh, maybe a week or two weeks ago, who came to me because they wanted me to do their marriage ceremony. And I said, why do you want me to do your marriage ceremony? They said, because we want the Lord involved in our marriage. And I don't do that sort of thing very often, so I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. But I, I said, why do you want me to do this? Because we want the Lord involved in our marriage. And the Spirit of the Lord just gave me a word for them. I didn't stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, or anything like that. But here is what I told them. The Lord is a jealous God, if you invite Him into your marriage, don't be content thinking that He is going to be satisfied just being in your marriage. He doesn't want to be involved in your marriage, He wants to be involved in you. I'm surprised they, they got married after that. because. We want the Lord involved in the things that we want to involve Him in, but in the rest of it, we want to handle all by ourselves. That's what it amounts to. And again, it's like with, a- after you, you go to church, and you go out, and you, you get the buffet someplace, and you pick and choose what you want. We pick and choose what parts and pieces of the Lord we want. I want all of this and none of that. Mm. And we'll go back for, and make several trips for the same thing. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> We'll go back and, and we'll make three trips back to the buffet just to get chicken wings. But we won't touch the vegetables. We won't touch the fruit. Or we'll go back and get three pieces of fudge cake, but we don't want Brussels sprouts. We we, we, paid, we paid for the buffet, and we go and we fill up on things that we want. And a lot of people treat Christianity and treat the Lord Jesus Christ the same way. Oh, I want the Lord as my Savior. In fact, there there's... There there has been and probably still is a teaching that, that says you can receive the Lord as your Savior and then later on down the road when you really get committed, you can receive him as Lord. And again, it's the buffet meal. You spread it out before you on Sunday morning. You pick and choose what you like out of the sermon you, and you take it and go with it. But the Lord is much bigger than our idea of him and he is much larger than than the box that we would try to place him into and that's why i say if you really want the revelation of who jesus christ is you have got to enter yourself of your preconceived ideas and notions and the religious talk and the spiritual vocabulary that we incorporate to make people think that we know what we're talking about such as we want the lord involved in our marriage that is someone who doesn't know the lord because the Lord is not going to just come in and work on your marriage he doesn't want your marriage he doesn't want your family he wants you he doesn't I want the Lord involved in my business why so I can be prosperous of course the Lord doesn't want your business he wants you either he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all And when we open the door and we say lord show me this show me your son show me the full revelation bring me to the epignosis of of your son so that i can see him as he is do we really know what we're asking for do we really know what we're praying for because immediately when we do that we're opening the door for the holy spirit from that day forward to begin to do the work that Jesus commissioned him to do which is to lead you into all truth who is Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we open the door and allow the Holy Spirit to pretty much come in and reveal Christ to us, remember the principle of John 3 and I think it's verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. So what happens is as we ask for the Lord to increase, what has to happen? It's not that God gets bigger, but we have to get smaller. We are so large in our own sight that our self and our flesh clouds that, that pure vision of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit begins to send us. See, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit right into a hard place, right into a circumstance. Now, my belief and my understanding is you're going to have problems and circumstances and trials and afflictions as long as you're here on the earth. It's not a question of trying to get out of your problems or trying to get out of, of the testings that come our way. Because by reason of the fact that we live in a physical body and we're here on this earth with other people who enjoy hurting one another, we're going to be hurt. We're going to have problems. We're going to have challenges. We're going to have crises, one after the other. It is not a matter of trying to get to a place where you never have those problems. It is always, and it always has been, a question of how do you respond to those things? Not whether or not you have them, how do you respond to them? Because your response indicates how much further into God you're going to go. And if we, if we just want to, to come and hear a nice word, sing a few songs, and pretty much live a carefree life, we're not going to know the depths of Jesus Christ. I think we're living in a dream world if that's what we think it is. I mean, I, don't, I just don't know a single person that everything is going just great. Everything is going just perfect. If there is, come see me after the service. I'd like to know your secret. (laughs) But what is the difference? Paul says this. He says, I had a messenger of Satan that was buffeting me. Three times I prayed that God would take it away from me. And how often have we prayed, Oh, Lord, take this away from me. Oh, Lord, move me out of this. Oh, Lord, I just wish you'd straighten this out. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And we're, we're seeking for deliverance, but we're not seeking for grace. See, deliverance is, is, is to be out of my problem altogether, but grace is to receive the strength and the life of the Lord Jesus to see me through in that problem. Amen. We're looking for deliverance, when a lot of times the Lord wanting to, to strengthen us and bring us into a greater knowledge of Christ would rather us go through the problem with His grace so that we can say, I don't know how I made it through, but it was the grace of God and it was the life of the Lord Jesus who brought me through, and now I know the Lord. I know the Lord. And what happens is you have, uh, you have people claiming to speak for God and claiming to know God, but they have no depth. They have no depth of root. They are shallow because they have no, no history of dealings with God. How is a prophet formed or how, how, how is a minister and i don't mean a um, a minister with a robe on in front of a cathedral that's not what i'm talking about i believe we're all called to be ministers of reconciliation ministers of righteousness how how are they formed what does god do to get someone like a moses what does god do to get someone like paul what does god do to get someone like john he has to bring them down a path that is littered and strewn with all kinds of problems and tests and temptations and trials. It's not that you are delivered from them altogether, but the Lord gives you His strength in them. And if we will allow Him to do so, the Holy Spirit will use those experiences to change us inwardly. Again, it is not deliverance from your problems but it is knowing the grace of God in the midst of your problems that brings about the clear, full knowledge, the epignosis of Christ so that we're no more children tossed to and fro, thrown about by every wave of wind of doctrine. But it says that we will grow up into him. And we just need to grow up. We just need to grow up. Life is difficult. I think it's Scott Peck that that wrote a book and, and he started out the first sentence says life is difficult he says but once you understand life is difficult it's no longer difficult jesus says as long as you live in the world you're going to have persecution but be a good cheer i've overcome the world the question is not how do we get get rid of persecution how do we get rid of our problems it's how can i see god in this how can i get out of myself get off of my ground and come unto the ground of the lord jesus christ the goal and the object is, first of all, for revelation. We have to see Christ as he is. But why? Why doesn't God just, after we see Christ, just, or after we get saved, why doesn't he just carry us on up into heaven? I mean, what's the point? Why are we down here at all? Well, the answer is, revelation here and now is given for the purpose of testimony. And that's what we'll talk about today is Testimony. If there's anything that that is as critical if not more critical than the revelation of christ it's the testimony of jesus you cannot have one without the other and this is where we're going to lose some people and this is where some people are going to fall away because they want the revelation but they're not prepared to go through what they're going to have to go through to translate revelation into testimony does that make sense Oh, it's real easy when we're in here having a good time and hallelujah and oh, we're talking about the revelation. But again, the revelation will cost you and the transition from revelation to testimony. See, God doesn't just dump wisdom out on us for its own sake. He has a purpose. He has a goal. He has a plan and that is to sum up everything into Jesus Christ that he may have the preeminence in all things. Does he have the preeminence in all things today? No. He doesn't have the preeminence in us individually as disciples. He doesn't have the, the preeminence in the church. All we have to do is just go visit some other churches. Of course, he has the preeminence here.
1: <laughs>
0: Does he have the preeminence in this world? No. How do we know? Because the kingdom of God is not here. It's not visible. We don't, we don't see the result we don't see the result we would expect to see if Jesus had the preeminence, if God's will was done totally. Well, what, what would that look like? It would be heaven on earth. It would be no sickness, no sorrow, no pain, no killing. We don't have that. So, Jesus doesn't have the preeminence, yet God says, this is my beloved Son, hear him. Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. So, God is going to have to do a great work in bringing about the the circumstances so that Christ will have the preeminence in all things. It's not just for the church. The church is the beginning. It is for a universe. It is for a cosmos. It is for this earth. And as far as I can tell, the earth is the only part of the universe that does not reflect the glory of God to its fullness. The earth and the planet that we're on does not give Christ the preeminence. And as far as I know, every other place in the universe is submitted to him. Every other place in the universe reflects his glory, except here on earth where we are, (laughs) because we have our own mind and our own will and our own prejudice and and our own understanding of what we think it's all about. So what is God doing? He sends his Son in the form of flesh and says, repent because the kingdom of God is coming. Get yourself aligned with what God is doing in the Son because heaven and earth are going to pass away to make room for this kingdom. But my word will never pass away. And the one who does my will will live forever. That's what we're talking about. How do we get into God so that we can carry on through eternity under the preeminence of christ to do that it's a transition from revelation into testimony so with all of that introduction taking place let's go over to first john and chapter one the first epistle of john chapter one when we look through the Bible and and we look at how God used Paul and how God used John we see a complement there Paul stands for revelation John stands for testimony if you're taking notes I would write that down Paul stands for revelation John stands for testimony with Paul everything has a foundation it is to whom God says I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name and he was given the revelation we can read in Ephesians we can read in John we can read in Colossians and just see the depth of, of the revelation that God gave Paul of Christ for the church but what has happened is as time goes on and other outside influences enter into the church that more and more, you see, the scriptures begin to dealing with issues such as false prophets, false teachers, false brethren who crept in unawares, and all of these outside influences coming in. See, if, if the devil cannot stop it altogether, he'll try to destroy it through impurity. It's just like when, when Jesus was born, all of the, of the babies in Bethlehem in the surrounding area were killed if we can't if the devil can't stop it from happening he'll, he'll try to pollute it first he tries to stop it well now it's it, this this kingdom of God is spreading and it can't be stopped you see in the beginning in Acts that they, they would carry them before the Sanhedrin and straightly charge them but you never again speak in the name of Jesus and they said how can we help but speak the things which we've seen and heard That seeing and that hearing is the result of revelation. Seeing and hearing, that is the key. Keep your finger there in 1 John. We're just going with the Spirit, okay? We're just going with what the Spirit of God has for us. Turn over to Acts 22 before we get started in 1 John because I need to make this link between Paul representing revelation and John representing testimony. And if you listen to Paul, three times in the book of Acts, it talks about his initial encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ when that great light shone from heaven blinded him for three days and Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And you really need to, to read the whole thing, but, but for time constraints we want, we'll start out in verse uh, 6. Now, he's giving his, his testimony uh, you really, you need to go back into chapter 21 and read how, how this all came about. He's, he's there in the temple, and, and some of the Jews see him and recognize that this is a man that's been preaching all that stuff about Jesus. So they grab him, yank him out of the temple, slam the door shut behind him so he can't get back in there and, and claim sanctuary. And they're beating him. I mean, they're just laying into him and, and beating him to death. And it, call, it says the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar over this one man. And so the Romans, the, the police, you know, they came down there to find out what was going on and they grabbed up Paul. They figured he must have done something terrible so they put great chains on him and they're, they're leading him away. But the crowd is so angry against this man that they're trying to grab him and just tear him limb from limb. So the soldiers have to pick him up on their shoulders and, and basically give him protection to get him back into the garrison there. I mean, just... What is it about this man that is just inciting this entire riot? And so Paul, being who he is, sees this opportunity. <laughs> you know, he's, he's probably got broken bones and he's bleeding and, and he's, he's probably had teeth knocked out. He's already been beat up and, and uh, whipped and, and everything else. And, and he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now that's what an apostle is. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He he sees this as an opportunity, so he asks the soldiers, he says, will you let me speak to the crowd? And they're like, well, I don't know if we need to do any more of that, Paul. We've, We've had enough uproar for one day. But he convinces them, and so he's standing out here on the balcony or on the steps or what have you in front of all of these people who are screaming and cursing and trying to kill him, and he begins to speak to them in Hebrew, and that gets their attention. And so he begins to speak, and what does he do? He goes right back to the Revelation. If you haven't had the revelation you've got nothing to talk about but he goes right back to the revelation and he begins talking about how he persecuted the church he starts from the beginning like, well why is all that in there again because that is that is that's him see it's not Paul didn't bring a message he was the message the man is the message and here he is all beat up you know like rocky you know in, in round 15 And he's and just get this in your head and he's 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 begins to tell them this story. Verse six he he comes to, he says, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. (laughs) Now, there's the revelation of Christ, friends. That's the revelation of Christ. He thought he was doing God's will by killing off these Christians. And right there, the Lord, even in, in those words, that is where Paul understood the relationship between the Lord and his church, that the two are one. Because Jesus didn't say, Why are you persecuting my people? So that he, he instead he said, Why are you persecuting me? Paul says, What do you mean? I'm not persecuting you. Who are you? He says I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Because me and my people are one. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That right there was the seed. If you if you want to read about the church and flip over to Ephesians, you want to see where he got all that from? Right there. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. I've never even met you. I've never laid a hand on you. Yeah, but when you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me, because I and my church are one. So there it is. Verse 9, And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? When you've seen the Lord, when you've truly seen him, That's really the only response that there can be. What do I do with this? And for Paul, it was a complete reversal of everything that he believed, everything that he had experienced. He was in the leadership position of authority in in Judaism. I mean, he was right there in the middle of the system. But he didn't say, well, I need to go home and pray about it. We get so religious with that. Well, I don't know if the Lord's really in that or not. Well, I'll just go home and pray about it. No. When you've seen the truth, there can only be one response, and that is, what shall I do now? If you've got to go home and pray about it, forget it. I mean, if Paul had said that, he sees, he sees the Lord, the Lord's telling him this, and he says, Well, I need to go home and pray about it. Can you imagine that? <laughs> oh, forget it. When the light, see, when the light shines, it doesn't make you see to begin with. It blinds you. The true light from God makes you blind. And he was blind for three days. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. This is bigger than I am. If it's not bigger than you are, it's not God. <laughs> we've got a teeny tiny Jesus, then we think we've just about got him figured out. No, you don't. That's not the Jesus here in the Word. The Jesus of the Word is larger than our understanding. We can't contain him. People will get up and they'll say, well, I went to heaven. And while I was up there, I saw the Lord. And I was dancing around on streets of gold. And I saw Moses. And I was riding in the chariot with Elijah. You ain't been nowhere. No, you have, not. you have not. You have not met the Jesus of the Bible. Because when the Jesus, the real Jesus, revealed himself to Paul, Paul was in the dirt. He was in the dirt. And he was blind. He got up from there blind, arrested. I don't know what to do. What shall I do now? What do I do? He was just impotent before God. And then he says, you know, I know a man in Christ that 14 years ago went up into heaven and saw unspeakable things that he's not even allowed to discuss. Can't put them in the words. Now, that man's seen something. But we can get up the next Sunday and say, oh, I had a vision. I, I went to heaven and I saw Elijah. No, you didn't because that little thing you had is so small it has not knocked you to the ground and made you blind. Paul met the Lord and he found out that the Lord was not as he expected and he found out that the Lord was larger than he was. What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus and there it shall be told thee of all the things which are appointed for thee to do when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood, and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight, and the same hour I looked upon him. Now get what he said. This is a little insight that is not recorded earlier, so every time Paul tells this testimony, you get a little bit more of an insight. He says here that Ananias said to him in verse 14, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one and should should hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what you have seen and heard. God doesn't just pour out revelation so we can walk around and talk about how much revelation we have. Instead, it says, He has appointed you, He has set you apart, He has given you this, that you may see Him, that you may hear His voice, so you will be His witness unto all men of what you have seen and heard. Verse 16, So what are you waiting for? The King James says, And now why tarryest thou? But in other words, what are you waiting for? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, call on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, that's good. Verse 18, he's, he's still telling, or 17, he's still telling his, his testimony here. It came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And I saw him. Again, he sees him. I saw him saying unto me, Make haste, get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue that they believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience, verse 22, unto this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and that he should be examined by scourging that he might know wherefore they cried against him. See, he was speaking in Hebrew, and things are going pretty good. Everyone is deathly quiet listening to this. And then he says, Go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. And here they go again. Ah! And the Romans, they don't know what's going on. They don't understand Hebrew, and so they jerk him back in. They figure he must be a terrible, terrible man. To have all of these people to hate him and then you know the story continues on they will not receive your testimony concerning me here in Jerusalem isn't that interesting but I share this because it is a it is a segue from Paul representing Revelation into John who represents testimony revelation will always lead to testimony when once we have the revelation once we when we have seen the Lord first of all it's going to blind us it's going to make us dumb in other words we won't be able to to speak we won't have the vocabulary to express what we've seen but it'll also make us dumb up in here so boy i I thought i knew but i didn't know (laughs) i thought i knew (laughs) but but see i thought i was doing god's will but now i'm persecuting jesus and and so as, as that revelation unfolds, it stupefies us and makes us stupid. It dumbfounds us and it makes us dumb. But what has happened, see, it says he won't receive, they won't receive your testimony. And as we go through and, and we read the epistles, we see that more and more it is getting difficult for Paul to be able to bring. This testimony to bring this revelation, not only because they're shut up in he's shut up in prison, but that's where he's writing his letters. So praise God for that. We have these letters in the Word. But in remember, in Timothy, when he's nearing the end of his ministry, he says, "Everyone has left me. Everyone in Asia has forsaken me. The only people left are maybe Luke and, and Timothy." Think about that. Paul saw many of the churches that he established go by the wayside. He told the Ephesians, he says, when I leave, ravenous wolves are going to come in here and they're going to try to divide the flock. He told them. Here's what's going to happen. He said, you be faithful to what I've taught you because after I leave, people are going to come in and try to draw a following away unto themselves. And he, he told them point blank. He says, there are going to be some people within your own midst that are going to rise up and, and attract a following towards them. He says but don't you forget that I warned you for three years night and day for two years two or three years night and day with tears that's the last time he saw them so as we get to the end we and and if we're if we are careful and if we're studious in reading the Word of God we'll see that that we have the Word made flesh here in the Gospels and then in the book of Acts we see that revelation taking hold then we get into the epistles and we see Paul at last, praise God, finding vocabulary and language to somehow describe what he has seen so that it could be transmitted to the church. And that's why we have the passages in Ephesians that talks about that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Because Why does Paul talk about that so much? Because that was the turning point of his life, seeing the Lord as he really is. So as we go and progress through, and you get over into, it's right around 2 Peter. Up until 1 Peter, it's all doctrine, revelation, the the foundation of the church. But once you get into 2 Peter, it is more talking about false teachers, false prophets. Watch out, because false prophets are coming. And then from 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, well, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, And then Jude it's all just everything is be on your guard against Antichrist and false prophets then in the book of Revelation everything is tied up and it tells us the end result of how all of that is going to turn out so the transition from Paul the revelation to John carrying the testimony is very important and here's why it's important because we're living much in the same day that John was living in he was the last Apostle all the other apostles of the Lord had already been killed many of the churches were going by the wayside and when we see in 1st John God raised you can flip back to 1st John God raised the apostle John up as a as a last days type of us at a time when Gnosticism had come into the church when False teaching had come in when false brothers had come in and things were beginning to break down John is raised up at the end to testify that even if the outward breaks down and falls apart the church that Jesus is building is greater than the outward form he calls people back to an inward reality and inward truth that will see them through, in spite of the antichrist and the false prophets and the false teachers and the false brethren. We are, are, I think, overly concerned with the outward appearance and the outward form of the church today. When God raised John up at the end, he was already old. He was ninety-some years old. He probably thought, you know, this is it he probably thought he was there at the end of his life but there from out of nowhere boom here comes John 1st John 2nd John 3rd John revelation and the gospel of John the most profound writings in the New Testament are found in the simplicity of John's gospel that's why we tell new Christians read the gospel of John first if you look at Matthew Matthew is talking about the earthly ministry of Christ You look at luke it's talking about his ministry among the sick and healing you uh, mark is the same way john does not get so much into teaching as he does into the lord himself and the miracles that he relates are all signs not just miracles but signs pointing to an inward reality of who Jesus Christ is that is far greater than even the earthly things that Jesus did in healing the sick, or in raising the dead, or in giving sight to the blind. Those things were well and good. The apostles did those things. But John, in the end time of this initial period of the church, the last apostle, is raised up by God to point us back to the inward reality and truth of who Jesus is that goes beyond even the earthly things that he did. Why? Because that man, Jesus, is not with us anymore. But John says, you have an anointing. He lives in you. He abides in you. And that anointing, that reality, will keep you where you need to be, even if the outward falls apart. Let the false brothers come in. Let the false teachers come in. You have an anointing that abides in you and it will see you through those dark times. You don't need an apostle. I'm the last one, John was saying. You don't need any man to teach you. What you have received, walk in. And you'll be fine. That was his testimony. So read here in, in John chapter 1, verse 1. I, I, just, I love John. Because by this time, John, he used to be a son of thunder, right? And Remember, this is one of the of the ones that came to Jesus that said, Lord, we want to sit down on your left hand and your right hand when you come into your kingdom. I mean, just totally off the wall, off base, <laughs> completely. But you look at how God dealt with them and, and dealt with him and dealt with him and kind of held him in a cave someplace in the middle of nowhere. I mean, when he got the revelation of Jesus, he was on the Isle of Patmos, just a uh old, rocky barely an island out in the mediterranean but you see how god has worked and worked and worked in him and john has gotten so old that he just basically doesn't care about niceties and formalities and you know every time paul writes a letter he says this letter is from paul called to be an apostle by the will of god and from timothy our brother to the saints which are in Ephesus, those called to be blah, blah, blah. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just so, so nice. John doesn't have time to waste with all of that. He's not concerned with the things that we're concerned with. He is pointing us back to the foundation because if your foundation is messed up it doesn't make any difference what you think about tongues what you think about spiritual gifts what you think about the ministry gifts doesn't matter what you think about husbands and wives he doesn't have a whole lot to say about those practical things because he is being raised up to give a testimony we're going to find out what that is he doesn't say dear saints he doesn't say anything he just starts right out that which was from the beginning See, John is just declaring. He's not not asking for permission. He's not saying, do you mind if I share a few words with you? He just declares it. And I love that about John. That which was from the beginning, listen, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. I'm not coming to you with theory. I'm not coming to you with philosophy. I'm not coming to you with doctrine or with teaching. I'm bringing you a man. I've seen him. I've heard him. I've touched him. And none of you false teachers or false prophets can top that. You want to talk about a Jesus? I live with him. I saw him crucified. I saw him raised from the dead. I touched him I've heard it I've seen it I've looked upon it our hands have handled the word of life verse 2 for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear testimony witness and testimony is the same word here we bear testimony and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested or revealed or apocalypsis to us. That, again, verse 3, which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The life was manifested. He doesn't say Jesus gave us eternal life. He says the life we have handled we have touched we have seen he who has a son has life he who has not the son has not life and his entire testimony is towards that end i i've if you look through this epistle john makes some very bold declarative statements that sound very opinionated and and not very not very full of love not very christ-like (laughs) <laughs> he says things that sound very bigoted and sound very uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for closed-minded it's my way or the highway type of talk because so many people there were in the were saying that they were Christians they were fellowshipping with the Saints but they weren't living according to the truth of Jesus Christ they had already fallen away into religion into some kind of a system or a form That was all theoretical and all philosophy and all doctrine but they missed the substance they missed the life and they were they would say things like well you know now that we've got the grace of God we can live any way that we want to Paul was already dealing with some of that in in the epistle to the Romans but here in John things are getting worse and worse if you look in John he's writing to everyone if you look in second John he says the elder unto the lady and her children whom I love in the truth and not I only but also all they that have known the truth for the truth's sake which dwells in us and shall be with us forever. Verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found some of thy children walking in truth. So he starts out writing to the entire church. Then by Second John he's, he's, write, he's writing to one individual saying I rejoice because some of your children of your children are walking in the truth. Obviously, everyone is not walking in the truth by this point. And then if you look in Third John, he's writing to one individual, to Gaius. Verse 3 of Third John, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. So he starts out talking to the whole church. Then he's talking to a few children that are walking in the truth. Then he's talking to one man that's walking in the truth. So we're not suggesting that everyone had left the faith except for Gaius, but what we are saying is this represents a decline. This represents a whole, and then a little bit of that and then a very, very small number. And so the purpose of testimony is this. It is to confront people with the reality of who Jesus Christ is in the earth or to confront in the earth who Jesus Christ really is. And that is based upon revelation. It's based upon what we've seen and what we've heard. If we haven't seen it and we haven't heard it, we don't have anything to testify about. And if, if there's anything that has made us weaker, it is people who stand to testify or to talk about the things of the Lord as if they know what they're talking about when they haven't seen anything and they haven't heard anything. That's not to say that you again that's not to say that you can't go to the bookstore and get somebody else's revelation and read it and preach it the next sunday but john says we speak to you the things we've seen with our own eyes it's not a leftover hand-me-down second third or fourth generational message this is life we've seen it and we declare it unto you now you just take a look at some of the things he says and it, because again it's a two-edged sword You can't stand there and stand for the truth of Jesus Christ and then just let things slide that that does not align up with that truth. So he says things that that are very, um, oh, it's, it's not politically correct. It's just not very tolerant of other people. He says things like this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we're liars and we're not doing the truth. When's the last time you heard a message on that? All of you who say that you know the Lord, if you're walking in darkness, you're lying. You don't know the Lord if you're walking in darkness. (laughs) Again, he's confronting us with the reality of who Jesus is. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's possible to deceive yourself, John says. And if that's what you're doing, if you claim that you're perfect and that you've never sinned, then you're a liar and you're, you're deceiving yourself verse 10 it says if we say that we have not sinned we are calling him a liar and his word is not in us chapter 2 verse 4 he that says I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him John just says you're a liar (laughs) amazing I've never heard that come forth from from the pulpit or from anywhere you know in our counseling sessions we sit down with people and say "Well," You know I've got this and that going on and and we try to come up with some kind of a a thing well what you you really need to get turn your life over to the Lord you really need John didn't fool with any of that nonsense says do you have the life of God in you well yeah I gave my heart to the Lord then stop sinning (laughs) how does it get any any more simple than that I can just see I, I could just see John now you know he, he's old maybe he's humped over and maybe he's got a beard I don't know maybe he's lost every bit of his hair who knows but I, 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 but he comes in and they're coming to him with all these problems and questions and everything and he says are you in him then stop sinning if you say you're in him you can't live the way you're living Either you're lying or the truth is not in you, the Word's not in you. I mean, verse 6 of chapter 2, He that says he abides in him also to walk even as he walked. What is he saying? There's a reality about Christ that changes people. Changes them from the inside out. And if you say you've seen the Lord, you're going to be different. You're not going to live like the world. You're not going to act like the world. Well, we just have to love people where they are. And we just have to kind of accept them the way they are. That's exactly what they were doing. And John says, you're all liars. (laughs) You're lying if you say that you know him, but you're not living the way he lived. Because if you're in him, if you're one with him, then his character will be reproduced in you. And anything less than that is not abiding in him I mean Jesus says there are some branches that are abiding in me that are not going to produce fruit and I'll cut them off the ones who produce fruit I will purge them and trim them back and there's the dealings of the Holy Ghost to bring you into the depths of Christ I will purge them who bear fruit so that they will produce more fruit and again that is the the talents to whom has, whoever has the five and is faithful with the five will get five more. Whoever is faithful with the three will get three more, but the one who buries the one he has in the ground will lose that thing. He who has will be given more, and he who has not will lose what he thought he had. But John is saying, what? what is he saying? The the Your testimony should line up with your revelation. That's what he's saying in a nutshell. If you claim you've got the revelation, there should be a testimony that comes with it. Verse 9, He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. How much time do we waste going around telling people, well, you just need to learn how to forgive. Now, you know you can't have any bitterness in your heart towards everybody. You've got to just let that go. Well, I know I do, but it's so hard. I just don't know if I can get over it. John would have responded to that by saying, if you hate your brother, you're in darkness. You're not in the light. You don't know God. (laughs) (laughs) Because he is in a period of time when the church is being compromised, when the testimony of Jesus is at stake. And if you'll see, he's the one to whom the Son of God came in the book of Revelation. Revelation. In revelation we could go on forever here in first John and just read those those kind of, of statements that we wish were not in the Bible the kind of things we'd never dream of saying to someone else verse 11 he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not whether he goes because the darkness has blinded his eyes I'm telling you you've got to get over your hurt you've got to get over your bitterness and to be focused on that is to be stunned spiritually. And eventually, I've seen it happen. People will stay in that and stay in that and stay in that until just as John says, if you hate your brother, you're in darkness. And yeah, they were hurt. Yeah, they were mistreated. But again, it's all in your response to that. John says, if you're abiding in him, you'll love your brothers. Verse 15 says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, I know it's not about the things that I own. It's not about my possessions. It's not about me. But I do hope that God blesses me. And I just, I want to use it for him. I just hope he'll prosper me so that I can prosper him fully. A lot of it is we love the world and John says if you love the world you're not loving God because if you love God you'd be satisfied with Christ and you wouldn't ask for anything else anything else you got would be just gravy but we're looking for the gravy we think God owes us a blessing because we're Christians we think we're entitled to something special because we belong to him and we are. That's why he gave us Christ. Having him, John says, you should be content with that. In uh, chapter 3 and verse 8, he that commits sin is of the devil. That just doesn't sound very tolerant. <laughs> if you sin, you're of the devil. Now, I would never make a statement like that. I would say, well, I know you're backslidden, brother, and, but let's just pray. John says, if, if you're in the habit of sinning, if you're living a sinful life, and that's what that means is continually, not that, that we're, because he just said you can't say that you're, you've never sinned or that you don't have sinned. But he says, if you're in the habit of living a sinful life, don't think that you've seen Christ. That's the point. Don't think that you have the revelation of Jesus. Don't think that, that don't delude yourself and deceive yourself into thinking That you know God verse 15 of chapter 3 says whoever hates his brother is a murderer it just gets worse and worse (laughs) 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 hear what he says whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him he's questioning the salvation of people that hate one another and well he should well he should because they haven't touched the Lord they don't know the same Lord that John knows they didn't touch the same Lord that Paul touched or that Peter touched what did they get I don't know they got a substitute they got something of flesh and blood but it wasn't spirit and truth I guess we should begin to wrap it up and save uh, some more for tonight but in, in the book of Revelation Verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, who? John. John. Oh, this intolerant old man, this bitter old man is telling us that we're sinners and that we're murderers and that we ought to love one another. And that is who God revealed his son yet again to. So we need to hear what the man is saying. We need to hear what he's saying. Verse 2, it says, Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he saw. Hallelujah. Saw it and heard it. Back over in 1 John 5, we'll close with this. Different Bibles translate it different ways, but basically the word witness and testimony is the same word. So that's the way I'm going to read it here. In 1 John chapter 5, and verse 9, it says, If we receive the testimony of man, the testimony of God is greater. You say, what is the testimony of Jesus? This is the testimony of God which he has testified of his Son. He that believes on the Son of God has the testimony in himself. He that believes not God has made him a liar because he believes not the testimony that God gave of his Son. And this is the testimony. That God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. Case closed. Either the life is there or the life is not there. John says that's the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is not that you try to figure out by what people say or what they teach or what they look like because we have many, he says, many antichrists, you've heard that antichrist is coming. John says antichrist is here. That's what he said. That's what he told them. But he says the life which is within you will teach you all things and you will know according to the testimony of that life Who has the Son and who doesn't? A two-edged sword. This child, Simeon said, will be for the rising and the downfalling of many. And John just spells it out for us. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus says, My words are spirit and life. The question is always getting back to does the life bear witness and testify of the revelation? If your testimony doesn't line up with revelation, it's time to go back and get revelation. It's time to ask the Lord to reveal His Son to us as He is. And that will, the consequence of that is, that God will work to establish a testimony in each one of us who have that revelation. John says, I guess we should close out with this one. (laughs) This is what makes a church prophetic or not. This is the difference between a prophetic church and a pathetic church.
1: Most of what
0: is happening today is not prophetic at all. It's pathetic. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Here is the difference. In, uh, In Revelation 19, we need a prophetic church, but a genuinely prophetic church, a genuinely apostolic church not a bureaucracy where we elevate flesh and blood and give them a title of, of apostle, bishop, deacon, reverend, master, teacher, so and so. That is not an apostolic church. That's not a prophetic church. Here is what prophetic is in Revelation 19 and verse 10. And I, John, fell at his feet to worship him, and he said, now this is an angel, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Do you have the testimony of Jesus? For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I'm going to read that to you again. I fell at his feet to worship the angel. The angel said to me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren, that have the testimony of Jesus heavenly things have nothing in common with that which does not bear the testimony of Jesus we can pray for God to bless it to anoint it to fill it to do whatever we want to but if it's not tied into the testimony of Jesus he's got nothing to do with it he says worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy The testimony of Jesus is the prophetic message. And I I quoted this last night. I think it's the Knox translation that says, It is the truth concerning Jesus which inspires all things prophetic. That is such a, a strong, strong translation. It is the truth concerning Jesus that inspires all things prophetic anything that says it is prophetic but is not bringing us back to the Lord as he really is anything that claims to be prophetic or the Oracle of God but it does not bring us back to our roots our revelation of Christ our foundation upon which the church is built I don't care how good it sounds I don't care if they can tell you how much money you have in your wallet I can tell you how much you'll have by the time they're finished
1: (laughs) <laughs>
0: the first thing Jesus said about the last days is this Take heed that no man will deceive you. God will not deceive you. God is not your problem. Take heed that no man deceives you. Why? Because many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ or I am the anointed. Same word. I am the anointing I have the anointing they'll come in my name they'll do great signs and they'll do great wonders but right here the word says the testimony of Jesus is the inspiration of the prophetic word that which is truly prophetic brings us always back to Christ as all in all because that we have to understand that is the movement of everything that God is doing God God doesn't have 10,000 things going on. He's got one goal, one purpose, one thing, and that is from the beginning of time to the ending of time to sum up everything into Christ. And we're all in in different levels of awareness of that. If you're out there in the world and you don't know who Christ is, then you have not the foggiest idea of what God is doing. When you come into the church, at least you know that Jesus is Lord, and one day we're all going to bow and we're all going to confess. But beyond that, God is trying to work in us a testimony to that in advance of its fulfillment. In advance of the fulfillment. For anybody in heaven can bow down and say, Oh, you're Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, I confess that you're Lord. But how many here on the earth have a reality that is larger than they are that allows them to see the unseeable, to hear the unspeakable, and to give a testimony that says he is Lord even though we don't yet see all things submitted to Him, in Hebrews it says. We don't yet see all things submitted to Him, but we see Jesus. See, when we look into the earth and we look around at the church and we we look out the window, we don't yet see everything submitted to Christ. We don't see the glory of God shining on everyone's face. We don't see people giving praise to the Lord in spirit and in truth. Of course we don't. But overcomers do this. They see something in advance of its fulfillment and they live it today. Today we worship Him in spirit and truth. Today we bow down. Today we confess that He is Lord. Today we seek His preeminence in all things. Even though we don't yet see the fulfillment around us of all that God is doing, we see Jesus. We see Jesus. and the testimony of that that testimony of who jesus is and his life in us that is the inspiration of all things prophetic that's why i say we need a prophetic church not a pathetic church and again we have to come off of our ground of what we think prophetic is and come onto the lord's ground or we will deceive ourselves just as john says you've deceived they have deceived themselves it is the testimony of Jesus which is the spirit of prophecy praise the Lord I think we should pray Once again, Lord, you are challenging us with who you really are, not who we imagine you to be. We know, Lord, that you stand in the midst of the candlesticks and your words to the seven churches are, I know your works. Some of those works were good, some were bad, some were lukewarm, but you know our works, Lord. You know who we really are no matter what others think we are, or even what we think about ourselves. So again, Lord, Word of God, penetrate us. Divide soul and spirit. Discern the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Lay open before you naked all of the hidden things of who we are. And all those that agree with me in prayer, Lord, with their amen and with with their heart. I'm hungry for reality. I'm hungry for who you are. I'm hungry to know the Jesus that Paul knows. I am hungry to know the Jesus that John knows. I am hungry to know the Jesus that Peter knows. And since, Lord, you are in us, And you are with us to a greater depth than even those who walked on the earth with you. For you said that I am with you, but soon I will be in you. Now, Lord, you are in us. And I pray, Lord, that you would again reveal to us your fullness. All we need, Lord, is some light. Just enough light to be struck blind and dumb. That we may be transformed into your image. That we may give you the preeminence. You've created all things, and for your pleasure they are created. So we want to minister to you to satisfy your need so that when you see us, you see the reflection of your Son in us, and that is what will bring you pleasure. That is what will bring you satisfaction. That is what will bring you much glory. Now, Lord, we don't see all things submitted to Him yet, but I pray that we will see Jesus. And having seen Him, having revelation of who He really is, Lord, that you will begin to formulate a testimony within each one of us. That we wouldn't look for a place, that we would be a place. That we wouldn't look for the one who knows God, but we would know God. That we wouldn't look for a Word from God, but we would be the Word of God to those around us. We need men and women, boys and girls, Who have the testimony of Jesus Christ and that testimony has to be based upon the revelation of Jesus Christ I thank you Lord that you have begun a good work and that you will complete it in us not according to expectation not according to our timetable not according to our schedule we've got the rest of our lives and then the rest of your life and that's going to go on for a long long time but Lord while we are here that we would occupy until you come not looking for a future hope and a future reward and a future heaven but to pray your will and your kingdom be done on this earth as it is in heaven not that we could get our earthly selves into heaven but that we could bring heaven down into earth through the testimony of Jesus Christ that in him is life and there is no darkness we thank you for it Lord we praise you for it Lord we worship you quicken this to our hearts Lord quicken it to our hearts I can talk until I'm blue in the face but apart from your spirit apart from revelation apart from unveiling apart from your light we will continue to walk in darkness give us the darkness instead Lord that comes when your light is so filling and so consuming us that we're temporarily blinded by it so that we learn we are the circumcision we worship God in the spirit we rejoice in Christ Jesus And have no confidence in the flesh those things that we have confidence in Lord apart from your son I pray that you will touch them that you will destroy them the thing that we are depending on the thing that is keeping us from knowing you Lord touch it remove it do what needs to be done in the lives of all those who agree with my prayer with their amen Amen. Amen.